this is your first time with us, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Derek, and I am the director here of Chi Alpha. I would love to meet you after service, and I'm excited to be back up here. I feel like I haven't got to speak a lot lately, and this is like my favorite thing to do in the world, so it's fun to be back. I'm sorry for you guys who had the downgrade from last week. It was a good week. Anyways, tonight... We have the joy of starting our final sermon series this semester. We are almost done. We only have three Chi Alpha services left, including the one you're currently in. Then only have two services after this one. So we're going to start our last series entitled Right to Beauty. We spent this semester looking at our birthrights as followers of Jesus. And often we talk about like the power of God. We talk about the power of the things that God has done, how he saved us from our sins. But I think sometimes in expressing the power and the greatness of Jesus, we miss the beauty of Jesus. Because at his core, Jesus is full of beauty and wonder. The characteristics of Jesus are so unique. He's the only person to ever live the life the way he did. And I think the only way to describe it accurately is to say it's beautiful. And Jesus is going to walk us through one of these characteristics in our story we're going to read tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them and turn to John chapter 13. We're going to be reading a story from the end of Jesus' time on earth. So Jesus gathers his closest friends, his followers together, and before he gives them his final discourse, and before he charges them to go start the first church and lead the movement of God on earth, he does this symbolic act to show them what leadership truly looks like. John 13 says this, this is verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, took a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now. But afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, no, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But he's completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that as we examine just the beauty of you tonight, Jesus, that you can open our eyes to who you are and how you are such a good and perfect God, but also such a loving friend. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Growing up, I was like the smart kid. So usually when we would have, and that's not just like, ooh, I was smart, great. It's not that cool. Because when we pick partners for group projects, and this scenario... When my peers were selecting someone to be on their team, they would select me first. And to be honest, this pumped my ego up just a little bit, but not a whole lot. Because I'm like, yay, I'm the smart kid. That's cool. That'll get me a lot of places in life. And look at me now. I'm a pastor, which no one's ever looked at my GPA or ACT score. So I'm glad I spent all that time worrying about that. Anyways, I didn't really care a lot about being the smart kid in school. But there was this different thing that would happen. This really this different feeling that would impact me greatly when being selected by my peers. Not when I was selected for a group project. But the feeling when I was chosen to play sports on a certain team, you know, and they line you up and you pick a team. See, never was I chosen first for those games because I was the husky child with little to no coordination. So it wasn't this joyful feeling of being picked first on the team for the Friday afternoon flag football NFL draft that gave me great joy. No, the feeling that brought me joy when being selected was when there were two chubby kids left. 
and they picked me before the other one. And I was like, hallelujah, what's up? You stink and I'm awesome. You are the worst. I am God's gift. And I'd start praising the Lord like, Jesus, thank you that I was not the last pick. My ego would be broken right now and I would be so destroyed. I was like, chump, you are in last. And then I felt really good about myself afterwards. I'm getting some dirty looks right now. I didn't actually like say that to him. I just went to the team. Anyways, you guys all gave me angry looks. I thought that it was the gift of God's to not be picked last because that feeling of not being the worst is a feeling of true bliss. See, as a child, being picked last is just the worst feeling, right? This feeling of shame, humiliation, feeling less than, feeling unworthy. This feeling is only rivaled by the feeling of being rejected when you ask a pretty girl to a dance, right? These are just some of the worst moments of childhood. And I know some of you are thinking like, huh, I can't relate to that, brah. You're like, I was picked first my whole life. I popped out of the womb a straight athlete. I do not understand what you're talking about. I've been ripped, brah. Okay, for some of us that were athletically challenged, being picked last stunk, okay? I see Josiah in the back flexing, feeling good about himself. <laughs> so I think many of us would agree. This negative feeling of being picked last for something, it's a much more extreme feeling than the positive feeling of being picked first. Because we hate being last. We live in a world that we don't have to be the best at something, because we'll create excuses and justify ourselves for not being the best and feel okay as long as we're not the worst. As long as we don't get the worst grade, as long as we're not the worst player, as long as we're not the last chair in band, then we're good. And we don't like being last, well, obviously, because that doesn't feel good. No one wants to be last. It makes us feel less than. But that's not the only reason. I think we don't like being last because of the attention that comes with it, because everyone's staring at you, right, if you're the only one left. And believe me, being last brings attention. Because I played football in high school, I had to be on the track team, as I've talked about before. My friends and I were linemen on the football team, so we were all slow. So our coach made us run what was called the four-by-fat. <laughs> this was when you'd put the slowest guys together on a relay team for giggles. And see, a lot of teams would do this in track. They'd make the slow guys race against each other. It was like good, clean fun, right? Well, my coach was sick. He had a twisted sense of humor, so he did not make us race against the other slow people. He had us race in the normal track race against the normal kids who ran all the time. And he thought it was hilarious. He was a 60-year-old single dude who got his sick kicks out of seeing us chubby kids trying to sprint. So obviously in this race, we got last. To make it worse, I had to run the anchor spot, which means I was the last person to get the baton in the relay. And I'm not, this is, I'm not exaggerating. I promise you this memory is etched in my brain. When I got the baton, everyone else was already done with the race. It was complete, so I got it, and I had to sprint the whole way by myself. No one else on the field. I remember I, I was a weird kid. I looked up to the stadium. I think I waved as I ran by. I was like, yes, I know this is embarrassing. Hello, haha. we ate too much pizza ranch. Thank you for the punishments. See, coming in last brought me way more negative attention than I ever would have signed up for because every, there was, like, no photo finish. Like, ooh, who got last? Like, oh, wait, he hasn't finished yet. we got to keep going. There is no quick instant replay, I promise you. It wouldn't have had to be that instant because it was quite slow. I never would have chosen this path. And see, this is where actually the beauty of Jesus can come in because in our story tonight, not only is Jesus okay with being the lowest, not only is he okay with everyone knowing that he's the least of these, he actually chose it. Jesus gathers his disciples. He sits them down. And he begins to do one of the most degrading things that a person ever, but specifically of this time, could do. He starts to wash his followers' feet. The person who usually did this were the slaves of the time period. So he took the posture of a slave. And I know for many of us, this sounds pretty gross, right? Washing people's feet. 
But I think we have no idea because of our cultural context. In this time, feet were even worse. Everyone wore sandals. That was it. There was no, like, Jordans or anything running around. It was all sandals. And the streets were disgusting because they didn't have cars. They had to walk everywhere. So their feet got real sweaty and real dirty. And to make it even better, there was no sewage system. So people's bodily, like, leftovers would be left over on the ground as you'd walk by and get a little bit on your feet. Those feet would have been rank. That would not have been good. Yet Jesus chooses to wash them. And this shows us the heart of Jesus. See, Jesus was God in the flesh. He could have chosen to come to earth and be worshipped. But Jesus was never about glorifying himself. No, Jesus' main mission was not to glorify himself, but rather to lower himself so he could glorify us. We serve a God that did not come into this world to be worshipped. He didn't come in order to be famous. He didn't even come really to be loved. We serve a God that came into this world simply to love us. We'll talk more about this in two weeks. But when Jesus, or I guess three weeks because there's Thanksgiving in there. When Jesus came to earth, did he come as a prince? Did he come as like a war general or someone of immense wealth? No, he chose to come as a poor baby born in a manger. When Jesus selected his disciples, did he choose powerful, wealthy men who could help him create an empire? No, he chose poor fishermen. Before our story tonight, Jesus had actually just done what's called the triumphant entry. He entered the city of Jerusalem like the holy city of God. Did he choose to come in on a stallion to prove that he was king and God ready to rule? No. He comes in on a donkey. See, when given the opportunity to exalt himself, every single time, Jesus chooses the path of humility. He chooses to lower himself. I think this should mess with us. We serve a God that is the only one in all of history who had the right to exalt himself and to make himself seem great. He's the only one who had the right to be proud, the right to be seen by other people as something amazing. Yet, he takes the road of meekness and the road of humility. It goes further, though. Jesus was not only God, he was these disciples, he was their leader, he was like their boss in this society. He could have chosen to be served by his followers, right? Like an intern, go get me coffee. We don't do that in our internship program. They, don't, they got me coffee once. They don't usually go get me coffee. But he could have done that. Yet Jesus' idea of leadership is being a servant and washing his followers' feet. And in this moment, I can kind of imagine what the disciples would have been feeling like. At first, they were probably a little weirded out, like, <laughs> why are you washing my feet, bro? This is kind of uncomfortable. But then... I think after a little bit, as he starts like scrub-a-dubbing, feeling good, their feet get a little clean. He's probably doing a really good job at it because he's Jesus, right? So he probably is the best foot washer on the planet. So they're feeling kind of good, a little massage in there. And they're like, all right, this is kind of nice. Reminds me of a few summers ago. Taylor and I, we went to this resort in Costa Rica. And we spent way too much money going to this resort. And they would wait on you hand and foot. They'd make all your meals. They'd get what you whatever you wanted. Remember one time in passing, Taylor said, oh, it'd be nice to have like Coca-Cola in our room. And then we just kept walking. We went back to our room not too long after and the fridge was full of it. They just came and said, your wish is our command. They prided themselves on being the best service hotel in Costa Rica. And at the beginning of the trip, it felt a little weird. I'm like, why are you waiting on me? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a pastor. This feels uncomfortable. I'm just Derek. Why are you doing this? But then by the end of the trip, I was like in the pool. Like, hello, kind sir. Could I get my uh, head fanned and a nice kitty cocktail to go, please? Because I was feeling good about myself. I'm like, yes, you are serving me. I am royalty. Feeling good. Because it wore on me a little bit. I thought you guys would laugh at that. I guess not. 
Thank you, thank you. So I feel like a million bucks until the end of the trip. They actually said, oh, are you like 35 or something? I'm like, all right, well, time to go. There goes your tip. Anyways. So the disciples in this moment, they may have been feeling pretty good about themselves. Jesus is washing their feet. But then Jesus flips it on them. We read this in John 13. Let's continue and finish our story. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he says to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do also as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. See, in our modern day world, we think the disciples are probably feeling pretty good, right? They're getting served, and then they're inspired by this beautiful vision that Jesus cast. It's, As I have done to you, you are to do to other people. And we think that the disciples are like, yes, my God and King has served me. I will go and serve other people and do it for others. But in actuality, I think the disciples were quite disappointed. Not just disappointed the moment that Jesus told them to go wash other people's feet. See, I actually think the disciples would have been disappointed the moment that Jesus started to wash their feet. Let me explain. The disciples followed Jesus, not really because of his teachings, but because they thought he was the promised Messiah, the chosen one. And they thought their vision of this Messiah was that a Messiah was going to come, and he was going to conquer the ruling Roman Empire and rule the world through military defeat. Their view of Jesus was of a conquering king, ready to destroy their enemies. See, they wanted a leader that would promote themselves. They wanted a leader who would show the world who was boss. This is like our culture, right? We don't usually exalt the humble. Usually we look to the proud, the arrogant athlete, the boisterous political leader, the actor who's all about himself, the influencer who spends their entire life trying to get people to know who they are. Those are our heroes in our society. Those are who we want to be like. See, to most... A beautiful life would be a life of fame, fortune, and followers. But Jesus doesn't pursue any of these things. And this is the beauty of Jesus. Jesus took his followers' expectations of a Messiah as a political leader and destroyer of their enemies. And he flips the script and he says, actually, a leader is one who loves people and serves people. See, Jesus tells us that life's not about ourselves. Life's not about overthrowing the empire. Life's not getting what we deserve and fighting back against the, for the oppressed. No, life is actually about lowering ourselves. Life is about serving people no matter if they deserve it or not. See, the disciples thought that when Jesus came and ruled, they would get to rule with him on earth and that they would have political power. And Jesus is telling them here time and time again, you have it wrong. I did not come to create an earthly kingdom. I came to create a heavenly kingdom. And I think in this moment, the disciples would have been disappointed, thinking this is what leadership looks like. My proud king is washing my feet right now. This is love. Love's being on the bottom of society. So they were disappointed because like us, they had this longing to not be in last place. And now their hero is saying to be the least of these. Throughout all of time, people have done whatever it takes to meet their own needs. 
to achieve their idea of happiness, the pursuit of happiness, right? The thing our country's founded upon has been what people have been pursuing since the dawn of creation. How do I advance myself and how do I advance my family to make myself and my life as good as possible? But what Jesus is telling us here is that true love is not the pursuit of meeting our own needs. He's saying actually love is finding the needs of other people in meeting those because love finds a need and meets it. This is love at its core. Love is finding a need and meeting it. 1 John 4 teaches us that God is love, and if we want to love God, we have to love the people around us. And if we continue on in John 13, it says this, a new commandment I give to you. This is right after he washed their feet. He says that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is how a follower of Jesus is recognized, if you have love for one another. So the way people will know we are a disciple of the king is by the way we love people. And the way we love people is simply through finding the needs of people around us and meeting them. It's through serving people in whatever way they could need. See, there are people in your classrooms that desperately need a friend. Someone who cares about them. Someone who's willing to have a conversation with them. And the way we love them is through being people's friends and starting conversations, even when it's inconvenient or maybe uncomfortable for us. We go out of our comfort zones and we talk to people. There are children around the world who need to eat. We love them through feeding them, right? And the way we do this is simple. We give to programs like Feed One, just like we're doing this month. That's a very practical way to love people and meet their needs. The people in your life need Jesus. They need hope. They need a Savior. And the way we meet those needs is we sacrifice our comfort zones and we talk to them about God. Love is sacrifice. Love is being willing to sacrifice our time, our resources, our comfort zones so that we can serve people. This is the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is not the endless pursuit of meeting my own goals, but the endless pursuit of how can I serve the people around me. Because love is not looking for ways to exalt ourselves, but it's looking for a way to exalt others. Love is not trying to take credit for things and make sure everyone knows my own accomplishments. Uh Uh-oh, my back, amen. But instead, love is giving other people credit. Things go wrong. I'm going to switch. That's okay. So, what is love again? Thank you for asking. Love is being willing to take the humble road, being willing to be looked at as less than. Love is being willing to take the blame for things, even if it's not your fault. Love is not always having to be right. Love is not always having to be number one. Love is not always getting our way. Love is serving people in whatever way they need. Because love is not just about lifting ourselves up. But how can I serve? See, love is encouraging people, even when they don't encourage us. Love is recognizing the value of the people around us, recognizing that every human is a finite expression of the infinite God, meaning that every person is a little example of the image of God because we are all created in what is called the Imago Dei or the image of God, which means that every person deserves honor because they are a little piece of God. And honor is illuminating the image of God in someone else's life, meaning we are called to be the most encouraging people on planet. We should be the kindest people on campus. We should be the most encouraging. Hear me, Chi Alpha. Love is never seeking to degrade other people. 
Love is not making fun of people or mocking them simply so we can get a laugh. Love is not sacrificing things at the altar of comedy, being willing to degrade someone or make someone else feel less than simply so I can feel better about myself. You know why people make fun of people? They do it because they're deeply insecure. So we don't feel our need for security through the tangible way of making fun of the people around us. Love is never choosing the low road of that and being mean to people, but instead choosing to honor people. Love is not asking the question, how can I exalt myself, but rather asking, how can I exalt you? And I think most Jesus followers recognize this truth, right? We know we should be kind to people. We know we shouldn't mock people. We understand that we are called to love other people, to serve them, to choose the low and humble road. We see this example of meekness in our King Jesus. Yet time after time after time we fail. We again say that prideful comments. We again mock someone around us just to make us feel better because we are deeply insecure. We again fail to serve while seeking our own honor. Something keeps us from choosing the path of washing people's feet. That something is we care way too much what everyone thinks about us. We have a longing. Each one of us has this deep longing to look good and to be well esteemed by other people. We feel like the way to get value is not through being a son or daughter of God, but the way we get value is through other people liking us and thinking well of us. Really deep down, we have this longing to live in two kingdoms. We want to live in the kingdom of God. If you're a Jesus follower, I am sure that you want to do that. But we also want to live in the kingdom of the world. See, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 20, 16, that in the kingdom of God, the last will be first and the first last. And in Luke 9, 24, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, in the kingdom of God, to be on bottom is to be on top. To be last is to be first. But in the kingdom of the world, in the kingdom of our campus, to be on top is to be on top, right? To be first is to be first. The kingdom of the world says we need to, other people to give us value through what they think of us. The kingdom of God says we have value simply because we are a son or daughter of the king. The world says promote yourself. Jesus says pick up your cross and die to self. We live in the middle of these two cries, in the middle of these two kingdoms. And if we're honest, we want both. We want to honor God, but we also want to be loved by the world. We want people to like us. We want to fit in. We want more followers. We want it all. We want our cake and eat it too. So what do we do? How do we become a servant? See, I think sometimes I think, okay, I'm just going to grip my teeth and bear. I'm going to force myself to wash people's feet and to serve people and love people. No, the key is not forced submission into the ways of Jesus. The key is we must just choose which kingdom do we want to live in. Do we want our lives to count in the momentary applause of the many or in hearing well done, good and faithful servant from the one true God? Because if we live for the world, we'll never wash people's feet. Well, that's actually not entirely accurate. See, we live in a generation that does tell us to serve other people. We live in a generation that cares deeply about justice and looking out for the little guy. Society will tell you, serve the world, change the world, go make a difference. Just make sure someone's watching. What would be the point of helping people if we never got credit for doing so through making an Instagram post about it? See, I remember one time, Taylor and I were dating, and there's this huge blizzard. I was a pretty good boyfriend, so I went and scraped off her car, and I thought, I'm going to do one better. 
So I went and got her Starbucks, got her flowers. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I come and give it to her, and she is so happy. And that, that was nice. I was glad to make my girlfriend happy. You know what was even better, though? That post on Instagram with all the likes, like, oh, my gosh, she's such a good boyfriend. You are amazing. I'm like, dang right, I'm awesome. Thank you. I am king boyfriend. I am a humble servant, too. Yes, I was excited about the Instagram post. Every like made me feel better about myself because I'm awesome, servant-hearted and loving. Humble, too, right? See, we want to serve people. We live in a generation that wants to make a difference. We want to serve people. We want to serve people our way. And there's two things I think we want to get out of that. One, when we serve people, we want credit for it. We want people to know we're servant-hearted, right? Because deep down, we want people to think of us as loving. And this comes from a deep desire to be well-esteemed by people, to gain the approval of man. But there's a second thing. I think a lot of times we want to serve people and live a life of justice, and that's a very good thing, but we distort it and we get angry about it. And we say, I'm going to fight for the little guy, and I'm going to be mad at you if you're not doing it the way I want you to. And we go to anger from what's a good thing of trying to serve and love people and stand up for people and live a life of justice. But then it drives us to anger when people don't view things the same way we do. So we serve people, but in doing so, pride creeps in, and so does anger. When in actuality, that is just trying to live in both kingdoms, trying to do a godly thing and a worldly thing. But the beauty of Jesus is he was humble and servant-hearted, and it was actually never about him. Jesus never sought credit. Jesus simply served people to serve them. Often he would heal someone and then tell them, don't go tell anyone, because he wasn't about getting credit, but simply he wanted to love people, not to gain anything, but just to show people love. We cannot gain both the approval of man and God. We have to choose. We must do things for the eyes of God alone and no one else. So I challenge you, do something kind for someone this week and don't tell them. Wouldn't that be so cool if we just had like a Kai Alpha party of everyone doing a bunch of kind stuff for each other and no one knew who did what? That'd be fun. Someone can come take care of my dog if they want. Actually, I shouldn't say that. He's bad. Anyways, do this anonymously because we don't love people to look good. We do it simply to love people. We all want to choose the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of the world is so alluring. What happens when someone chooses the kingdom of the world, though? Well, when someone chooses the applause of man or the applause of God, Judas happens. So you need to remember that on the night when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Judas was with them. Judas would go on to ultimately betray Jesus which would ultimately lead to Jesus' murder. Really, Judas murdered Jesus. And Jesus knew all this from the moment that he met Judas. Because Jesus is God, he's all, he wasn't like hoodwinked. Oh, Judas did this, who knew? No, he knew the whole time. Yet he still loved him. He served him. Jesus knew that the very next day Judas was going to lead to him being killed, yet he still washed his feet. We are to love people no matter what. I think this idea of washing our friends' feet, serving people we like, it's not great, but it's bearable, right? I can serve my small group. I can exalt my friends. I like them enough. How about serving our enemies? How about loving and being kind to the people that really, really annoy us? How about being kind to people that are mean to us, people who have hurt us in the past? Are we willing to wash their feet too? Maybe we look at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, it's awesome that you're so full of grace and kindness towards Judas. I love that for you, but you just don't get it. Like, my enemy is so much worse. You don't understand what they've done to me. You don't understand how annoying they are in class. You don't understand how much they tick me off and keep me up all night. 
And to which Jesus, I think, would respond, well, I get it, because Jesus is loving, he's kind. But then I think he'd ask a simple question, well, have they sold you for murder yet? Because if not, I think you're good to love them still. I think you'd tell you, go wash their feet. We're to love people no matter if we click with them. We're to love people no matter how much we do not like them. We'll hear this. We are to love people no matter how far away from Jesus they seem to be. I don't really care if their lifestyle makes you feel uncomfortable. Our temperament towards people cannot dictate our love towards people. We're to love people no matter what they look, act, or present themselves like. See, every time I read about Judas, a thought pops in my head. How could you, Judas? Judas, you heard about the power of Jesus and also witnessed firsthand the power of Jesus through him doing miracles. Judas, how could you? You heard about the love of Jesus and then witnessed firsthand the love of Jesus as he served you and washed your feet. You saw that not only was Jesus God through his power, but you also saw that Jesus was friend through his love. Yet you sold him for a few bucks. If I'm honest, I can tend to start judging Judas. I look down on Judas sometimes when I'm reading the Gospels or the story of Jesus. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you've been reading one of the stories of Jesus and you're like, wow, this Judas guy is the worst. Judas, how could you choose the world over Jesus? The Jesus that loved you. The Jesus that gave everything for you. How could you betray your friend? How could you betray the Son of God? And then something dawned on me. It dawned on me that I am Judas. See, I am Judas every time I choose my own pleasure over obeying God. I am Judas every time I choose to exalt myself over exalting Jesus. I am Judas every time I choose not to share the love of Jesus with the people around me. I am Judas every time I am prideful. I am Judas every time I fail to serve people. I am Judas every time I choose my own comfort zone over other people's eternities. I am Judas every time I fail to be generous to the people around me. I am Judas every time I prioritize my future, my goals, my success over doing the will of God. See, every time we sin, we are Judas. Because sin, at its core, is betraying God. Sin is saying, I am smarter than you, God. You do not know what's best. Sin is doing what I want over what God wants. Sin is not just the breaking of an impersonal law. No, sin is breaking the personal heart of God. Because God is your friend and loves you and wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't just give you a code of conduct and say, go follow that and I'll see you when you die. No, Jesus says, I want relationship with you because sin ultimately at its core is choosing to not trust Jesus. And that hurts us when our friends don't trust us, right? I think oftentimes we think when we sin, it's only hurting us. It's only impacting us. It's not going to impact anything else. But no, Jesus loves you so much that it actually hurts his heart when you sin. Not because you're not obeying his rules, but because he is like, will you please just trust me? I know what's best. Will you please trust that I love you? Because sin ultimately is doubting the love and trust of God. Sin is betraying Jesus because sin is saying, Jesus, you are not my Lord. I am. And I don't know about you, but I do this every single day. I am Judas. Yet, Jesus washes my feet. Herein lies the beauty of Jesus. The beauty of Jesus is not that he washes people's feet. The beauty of Jesus is not that he lowers himself. It's not that he is humble and lowly. It's not that nothing is beneath him. It's not that he is a servant leader. No, the beauty of Jesus is that the moment I betray him and spit in his face, he kneels down to wash my feet. 
Jesus washes our feet even when we're, we're betraying him and running after the world. We are Judas. We betray God every time we sin, every time we choose the world over him, yet he continues to wash our feet every single day. The beauty of Jesus is not just that he washes feet, but that he washes his betrayer's feet. The beauty of Jesus is that I am Judas, yet he washes my feet. Jesus was clearly trying to show his disciples he was trying to show them that leaders are called to serve. And as they go and build the early church, you were called to serve people. You were called to lower yourself. However, that's not the only reason he did this symbolic act of washing their feet. Because the foot washing was actually a symbol for what Jesus was going to do the next day. See, the next day after this event was Good Friday. The day that Jesus dies on a cross to pay for our sins. It's the day that Jesus would make the ultimate sacrifice to wash us all clean. Because all of our sin, every time we betray Jesus, we just get a little bit more dirty. Because we're letting the filth of the world get on us and let the filth of the world take control of us. And we're choosing the things that are not of God. And things that are not of God are not good. So we're choosing this and we're letting filth run all over top of us. And it makes it so that we should be so far from God. You don't want clean things to be next to dirty things, right? So God, since he's so clean and we are so dirty, there should be such a gap between us. But Jesus wanted to make us new. Jesus wanted to make us clean. Jesus wanted us to come back to the Father. And he knew the only way to do this, the only way to once and for all wash us clean of sin was to die. The beauty of Jesus is he washes us clean even when we're rolling around in the mud. But not just that. The beauty is Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus was not satisfied with just washing us clean of our sin. No, Jesus defeated our sin on Easter morning. Through the resurrection of Jesus, he made an ultimate cleansing, a once and for all moment where he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, and now we have the opportunity to be with our king forever. And this is the best news you're ever going to hear, that no matter how far you ran away from God, you're not too far. Jesus is never going to stop washing your feet. Your feet don't get too dirty for him. So what do we do about this? See, I think the first step is to recognize our own filth. We live in a, in a culture that doesn't want to recognize our own shortcomings and just admit, hey, I messed up. We don't want to admit that we're Judas. That stings a little bit, right? But I think instead of just judging the people around us and saying, you guys are like Judas because you don't look like the American Jesus. No, we need to understand that we are Judas and not worry about the sins of the people around us, yet look in the mirror and worry about the sins of ourselves and recognize that we spit in the, feet of Je or in the face of Jesus, yet he continues to wash our feet. First step is recognition, which should drive us to love and service. That should drive us to humility because we see the beauty of God. And this humility should drive us to serve the people around us. Maybe this looks like serving your community through volunteering, through giving back. Maybe this will look like serving your family when you go home for Thanksgiving and shortly after Christmas break. I challenge you, you better be the best son or daughter that your parents have ever had when you go home. This means being kind to your siblings. I don't care how young and annoying they are. They need someone to be the picture of Jesus to them. Talk to your siblings about their lives. Talk to your siblings about Jesus. The best gift I've gotten outside of the grace of Jesus and my wife is my older brother cared enough to ask me hard questions that made me uncomfortable when I was in high school. And he cared enough to want to know what's in my life. I wasn't beneath him because I was his little brother. 
Some of you have that opportunity to go home and be that to someone and point them back to Jesus. This also means being a good housemate. Pick up around your house. Serve your family when you're at home. Do not just take, take, take from your family when you get home. Serve, serve, serve. Give to them. Maybe this looks like serving your Chi Alpha family through joining a team here at Chi Alpha. Through joining the Setup Teardown team, which makes all this happen. Maybe you're supposed to join the tech team. Be the person who runs our lights and our words. I promise you that is not that hard of a job. If you can click a space bar, you can be on our tech team. Maybe it looks like joining the Connect team to help create the most welcoming atmosphere on campus. Maybe this is going to look like serving your small group through bringing encouragement, bringing snacks, or bringing your friends the small group. Finding the needs of the people in your small group and meeting them no matter what they are, being there for them no matter the time of day. Or possibly, this is going to look like serving the next year freshman class through doing our leadership training class in the spring and become a small group leader next fall and saying, my life, I want it to count. And saying, I'm going to sacrifice some of my time in college for the next generation and you're going to say I'm going to lead other people and make disciples who make disciples and teach them how to live lives of real devotion real community and real responsibility possibly it looks like serving hungry people around the world through raising money and giving to feed one I don't know what it looks like for you but we are just called to find needs and meet them to serve people we have to remember that Jesus washes my feet so I can wash other people's. Some of you are here tonight, and you're kind of like Peter. Remember back to our story at the very beginning. Jesus comes to try to wash Peter's feet, and Peter's like, no, 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 you're not washing my feet. Maybe you're here tonight, and Jesus has come to you, and he says, will you let me wash you clean from sin? Jesus wants to shower you with forgiveness. He doesn't care how dirty you are. He wants to make you clean. But maybe you're like Peter and you said no to him and you haven't let him become your Lord yet. Tonight is the night to change that. Jesus is asking you to let him pay for your sins. He's trying to pay your debt. And all he's asking of you is, will you just trust me? I feel like there's someone or maybe a few people in here who you've been in church your whole life and Jesus has been running after you and you've constantly kind of stepped away from him or kind of kept him at arm's distance. And Jesus is saying, you may know all the right answers, but I don't care about that. I want the right heart. Will you just let me in and have control of your life? I think there's also someone in here that doubts the goodness of Jesus and feels like if you let Jesus be your Lord, then he's going to hurt you somehow. Maybe you had a parent that hurt you. Maybe you had something in your past that was painful and you're worried that Jesus is going to like turn on you or hurt you. And that is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus loves you no matter what. Jesus isn't out to hurt you, but out to save you. I am sorry for what's happened in your past if you have some pain, but Jesus is saying, let me make that clean because you can't do it on your own. Trust Jesus tonight because Jesus will not force himself upon you. You have to let him in. Others of us are like the rest of the disciples. We've been washed of our sin. And now it is our turn to go serve the world around us, to go find needs and meet them. And if we'll do this, if we will choose to lower ourselves and exalt other people, to be servant-hearted, to wash people's feet, we will change the world. The world is looking for a group of people who are selfless and willing to live for something greater than themselves. Will we be that group of people? Will we be humble enough to wash people's feet? If you'd all stand with me. I want to give us an opportunity to respond tonight, just like we do every week. If you're here and when I speak of Peter, that resonates with you and you want to let Jesus in and let Jesus be your Lord, what I'm going to ask you to do is if everyone will close your eyes, bow your head. 
I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to encourage you to raise your hand just as an outward symbol to Jesus of inviting him in, saying, Jesus will be my Lord. If you've been running from God, if you've been doubting God, not trusting him with your life, he's saying, will you just trust me and watch what happens? Sometimes the only way to get over our fear of the deep end is to jump in. Jesus is asking you to do that tonight. So if that's you and you want to jump into the deep end with God and let him be Lord, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you are so good. Thank you for loving us enough to wash our feet, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Now for the, for the rest of us, here's my encouragement. So we're going to sing another song just like we do every other week. But I want you, before you start worshiping, to get out your phone, get out a journal, something. And I want you to write down one way you can serve someone this week. And then go and do that this week. Don't just write it down. But you're writing it down to remember it. So before we start singing, right now, get out your phone, get out your journal, and write down one way that you can serve someone this week. We'll give you about a minute to do that. And then we'll come back in and sing, okay? Let me pray as you're doing that. You can start writing. I'll pray over top of us, though. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for being such a servant-hearted God. Thank you for the beauty of your character, King Jesus. We love you so much. Amen.